Let's take our Bibles out and let's turn to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter number 1. And we're going to deal with a larger passage today than we've, than we've done in the past, at least in this, in this book of the Bible. Mark chapter number 1, and I'm going to read beginning in verse number 21, and I'm going to read down to verse number 34. So verse number 21 down to verse number 34. And here's what the Bible says. It says, And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? And what new doctrine is this? For with authority um, he com- commandeth he the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and Anon they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils, and all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and God, we just thank you, Lord, for the service thus far, and, and Lord, just for the singing, and for the scripture reading, and for... Uh, Lord, the, all that's all the missionary moment, Lord, that we had, and Lord, all the things that have been involved in the service. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for each and every person that is here with us. And God, I pray, Lord, that your hand would be upon them. God, I pray you just strengthen them and uphold them and bless them, Lord. God, I pray that you would use your word to speak to their heart and to change hearts and to inform hearts of the truth of your word this morning. God, I pray you'd use me as your vessel, Lord. God, I pray you'd empty me of self. And, Lord, just uh, fill me with your spirit and guide me, Lord, I pray. Uh, Lord, just to say what you'd have me to say. Uh, Lord, nothing more and nothing less than that. And, Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would get all the glory in this service and in this sermon. And, Lord, I offer it to you, Lord, just as an offering. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this morning uh, we want to continue on with our study of the Lord Jesus Christ and the focus of the Gospel of Mark is Jesus Christ the divine servant. He is the servant of God, and we see that uh, servant mentality as we work our way through the Gospel of Mark. It is a very fast-paced account of the life of Christ. Uh, The Gospel of Mark only has, what, 16 or so chapters, not very many compared to a book like Matthew or some of the other uh, Gospels, and it usually goes from one scene to the next scene to the next scene pretty rapidly. And this morning, I want to take a look at a day in the life of Christ, okay? So again, this, from verse number 21 down to verse number 34, all of this happens in one single day, okay? So keep that in mind. It's the Sabbath day, 
It's the seventh day. It's uh, one single day from sunup to sundown. Again, we see all these things happening. And last week we left off where Christ was calling uh, our two sets of brothers to come and to follow him. To come and to follow him full time. To leave their nets behind. uh, To leave the boats behind. And to come and to be with Christ all the time. To go where he goes. uh, To watch him do his ministry. And we're going to see how Christ will transform these men into his apostles. Um, whenever Christ came to these men, again, they were, uh, they were both fishing, some of them, and some were mending their nets. And again, they were on the Sea of Galilee. Again, if you uh, notice this section up here, here we have the Sea of Galilee and the city of Capernaum, which we're going to be talking about today. Um, but Christ calls these men unto him, and he promises that as they follow him in obedient faith, that he will make them to become fishers of men. And that's exactly what will happen. As you grow in your walk with Christ, one of the signs of that growth, one of the signs that I am maturing in my walk with Christ, that I am following him closely, is that I am going to have the same mission that Christ had. I am going to have a desire to seek and to save the lost just like Christ did. I'm going to have a desire to go out and to publish the good tidings, to publish the good news, to tell lost people that there is a Savior. And one of the signs that I am growing will be will be an increased desire and participation in reaching the lost for the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning we find that Christ with these disciples uh, again enters this town right here, the town of Capernaum, which is on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Um, And this is a town that we're going to hear about quite often through the life of Christ um, because this this really becomes the headquarters of Christ's ministry. Uh, Christ spends much of his earthly ministry in and around the town of Capernaum. Uh, many of his many of his teachings, many of his discourses, his his miracles that he uh, that are scattered through the Gospels are done in the in this region, yes, of Galilee, but even more specifically in the town of Capernaum. And this morning we're going to begin dealing with some of the miracles that Christ did, and we're going to deal with those. And we're going to we're going to see him do many miracles as we work our way through the through this gospel. But we need to remember that Jesus Christ didn't come into this world primarily to be a miracle worker. Why did Jesus Christ perform miracles? Jesus Christ performed miracles in order to authenticate the message. And that's always been the reason why there's been seasons where there have been miracles or there have been these sign gifts and Uh, Again, you find that in the early church, and it was during a time when new revelation was being given. The canon of scripture was not yet closed. Uh, Therefore, that's what you find in early apostolic times, in the book of Acts, for example. Uh, And we've dealt with this in depth in our spiritual gift series, but why there were some of the sign gifts that were in operation, uh, which are not in operation today. And we see that in the life of Christ, again, he would heal, he would cast out demons, he would show his power over the physical world in order to authenticate his message, uh, his claim to be the Messiah, his claim to be the Son of God, again, as he was presenting himself as the Messiah to the Jewish nation. And today, like I said, today we get a glimpse into a day in the life of Christ. Again, if, if we can just uh, again put ourselves put ourselves in the shoes of of these disciples and just uh, follow follow Christ for a day. And again, that's that's what we have here in our text before us this morning. 
And in our text this morning, we're going to be taking a look at, I primarily want to deal with uh, this topic right here, the authority of Christ. And we find the authority of Jesus Christ in three different ways uh, in this passage before us. We find that he had authority in his doctrine. Uh, we find that he had authority over demons. And we find that he had authority over disease as well. So let's go ahead and let's jump right into verse number 21 and 22. And take a look at Christ's authority in doctrine. Christ's authority in doctrine. Consider verse number 21. It says that they went into Capernaum. And straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. Now, you don't have to turn there, but in Luke chapter 4, verse number 16, we find that this was the habit of Christ. Uh, this was the custom of Christ as a faithful, law-abiding Jew uh, to go to the Sabbath or to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Uh, Luke 4, 16, the Bible says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, so this was his habit, this was his custom. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. So this was the custom of Christ. This was the habit of Christ. To get on the Sabbath day as a faithful Jew, even as a law-keeping Jew, he would enter into the synagogue. And we see there were times in which he was able to teach. He was able to teach the Old Testament scripture. Uh, we're going to go back to that passage in Luke in Luke 4, at, uh, again, eventually in this sermon this morning. But we find that, that that is the case in Mark chapter number 1 as Christ enters the synagogue in Capernaum. Now, just briefly, let me explain again, what, what is the synagogue all about? The synagogue, uh, the idea of the synagogue came about uh, whenever the Jewish people were in Babylonian exile. The temple had been destroyed, and that was their place of sacrifice and worship. The temple had been completely destroyed uh, by the Babylonians. Again, they were in Babylonian exile, far away from home. And again, what many of the Jews did is they began to form these, uh, th these pockets of Jewish people that would come together, and eventually that would become something that would eventually be called the synagogue. Uh, the synagogue, a synagogue would form uh, where, where, there, where there were at least ten Jewish men. They required 10 Jewish men in order uh, to establish a synagogue. And these synagogues really became the center of life, not just religiously, but uh, in many different areas. These synagogues became uh, the center of Jewish society, Jewish culture, Jewish life. Uh, but religiously speaking, these were the places where people would come together to pray, uh, to read scripture, and also to have a rabbi um, exposit. Um, or exposit the Old Testament scripture. So we see that Jesus Christ, being a recognized rabbi, was able to come into the synagogue and was able to teach the Old Testament scripture. And this was also the custom of the day. Um, any qualified man could, again, in the synagogue, um, exposit the Old Testament scripture. Um, they had a custom where, where any visiting rabbi uh, from another synagogue was able to come in and was able to teach the Old Testament scripture, and that's what we find Christ doing here. Now, unfortunately, we don't know what Christ taught. Okay? Now, it's likely, maybe it was, it's probably what he was what he was teaching back in verse 14 and 15. Uh, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. So that was really his, his big message that he was preaching early on in his ministry. So it's likely that that's what he was was preaching in the synagogue, but then again, 
Uh, again, we're not going to make an argument over silence because, again, we, we don't know exactly what he was, what he was preaching. Uh, take a look at verse number 22, verse number 22 of Mark 1. And notice here, we don't know what he taught, but we know how the people responded. We know how the people responded to his teaching. In verse number 22, it says, and they were astonished at his doctrine. Now, the word doctrine simply means teaching. So the people that were there in the synagogue on this Sabbath day in Capernaum, studying at the feet of Christ, listening to him, they came away astonished. They were astonished at his teaching. Now, the sad thing is that as we're going to see as we work our way through the Gospels is that Again, there were multitudes of people that that followed Christ for the wrong reasons. And many of these people proved that they weren't true disciples of Jesus Christ because they ended up falling away. Uh, there were those who followed Christ for the miracles. There were those who followed Christ for the food and for the uh, again, for, for the things he provided for them. Uh, there were those who, who sat in astonishment at his teaching. Yet the tragedy is that, um, again, it was the same multitude— Again, that Christ had come to save, that for the most part rejected Christ. For the most part persisted in their unbelief. They persisted in their sin, and they rejected Christ as their Messiah. And we need to realize this morning that there is a difference between being astonished at Christ's teachings and being intrigued and amazed at the teachings of Christ and having saving faith in Christ. There's a big difference between those two. Let's turn to Luke chapter number 4. Luke chapter number four, and we find here that this, uh, again, we find another time when Christ was teaching in a synagogue in Nazareth, okay? So in his hometown where he grew up. So Christ is in the synagogue in Nazareth. This happened, um, chronologically, this happened before the event in Mark chapter one in Capernaum. Uh, but Mark doesn't record, record this passage here. So in Luke four, uh, beginning in verse number 16, it says, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. So notice here that it was a similar scene. Christ goes to the synagogue in Nazareth. He stands up for to read the scripture. He quotes the prophet Isaiah. And the people's eyes are fastened upon him. Just like the people in Capernaum, they are astonished, they are amazed, they are intrigued, they are, again, their, their, their eyes are fastened upon him as he speaks the word. But jump down in the, same, in the same passage in Luke 4, jump down to verse number 28, verse number 28. Again, you can go back and read, again, what Christ said, and again, how he spoke of the Old Testament and quoted Old Testament prophets. Uh, but let's, let's take a look at the, the ultimate response of the people. Verse number 28. It says, And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up, and thrust him out of the city, 
and led him unto the brow of the hill whereupon or whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. So we find that when Christ begins teaching, expositing the Old Testament scripture, the people are, are, are glued to him. They're astonished. They're fast, their eyes are fastened upon him. But notice that, as this often was the case, that again, as he continued to preach and teach the word of God, many of these same people were the very ones that, like we see in Luke 4, were, were, were filled with wrath. Again, they, they, they tried to take him, and it says, again, they, they, they led him to the brow of the hill. They were going to cast him down headlong, but again, we see Christ was able to escape them. And that's the sad thing, is that many who sat under the teachings of Christ, can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine living in Capernaum in the first century and, and, and going to the synagogue and hearing Christ the Messiah in person? We don't have that luxury as New Testament believers, right? And Christ isn't here with us. Again, he is back in heaven, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We have his word and we have the spirit of God. Um, but again, we, we don't have that privilege of setting at the feet of Christ. Um, but again, I, I think the lesson for us to learn from this is just like these people sat at the very feet of the Messiah, the promised one that Isaiah spoke about and that many of the other prophets spoke about. And yet they rejected him. They rejected his saving message. They rejected the gospel offer. And what a tragedy it would be if one was to spend years setting under the teaching and the preaching of God's word, but never come to a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and die and go to hell. Familiarity with Christ is not the same thing as faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A Bible teacher from years gone by named J.C. Ryle said this. He said, he said, the saddest road to hell is the one that runs under the pulpit, past the Bible, and through the middle of warnings and invitations. Again, you must go beyond familiarity with Christ and, again, have saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, that is so important. It's the difference between heaven and hell. Let's continue on, though. Let's, t- let's come back to verse number 22 of Mark chapter 1. I'll give you a second to get there. Mark chapter number 1, if you all, would all turn back there with me. Uh, take a look at verse number 2 again with me. So why were they astonished? Why were they, why were they amazed? Why were they astonished at his teaching? Verse 22 answers that. It says, And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority. And not as the scribes. He taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. So in other words, they had never heard somebody speak like this before. They had never heard somebody speak with such conviction and clarity. They had never heard somebody speak with such authority as Jesus Christ, the Messiah, spoke. Now the scribes, again, those would have been the primary teachers in the first century, and sadly, what happened really since the days of Ezra and beyond is, is, is the scribes, their teaching became less and less focused upon the exposition of God's word. And it became more and more focused on uh, the, the interpretations of previous rabbis. And it, it, became, it became more and more, um, again, just going back to what previous rabbis had, had said, which eventually would lead to... Uh, again, more authority being placed upon the words of men than upon the word of God. And that's what happened over time. 
Um, again, the, these scribes, again, their teaching had become more characterized by traditions and teachings of men rather than simply and faithfully expositing and expounding the word of God. But Jesus Christ was unlike that. He wasn't like the scribes. And he spoke with authority. He spoke with clarity. He spoke with conviction. He spoke with confidence in the word of God. And I believe that that's a challenge for, again, modern day preachers. Uh, again, just to see how Christ taught and how Christ preached, he spoke with authority. Again, and I believe that modern day preaching ought to uh, ought to be done with authority, not our authority, because I don't have any outside of Christ, but the authority of the Word of God. That's where the authority lies, and that is why again preaching must be must be tied back to the Word of God. What God has said is is really what matters. But we see again that the scribes. Again, their, their teaching was not like that. I mean, much modern-day preaching is not, is not like that. Paul told Titus, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise you. Again, preaching is to be clear. It is to be based upon the word. It is to be done with conviction and, and, and based upon his authority. So we find here that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, displayed his authority through his doctrine and we display, again, we show that we are under his authority, um, again, by, by as, as a preacher, faithfully preaching the word of God, but also for all of us living out the word of God. And how do I show that I am under the authority of his, of, his, of his doctrine? It's by heeding what he says. It's by doing what he says. It's by obeying the word of God. By doing that, I show that I am under the authority of, of Christ and of his teaching, of his doctrine. Let's continue on, though. Let's take a look, secondly, at Christ's authority over demons. Christ's authority over demons. Take a look at verse number 23. And it says here, and it says, There was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Okay, so as Christ was in the synagogue, as he was teaching, as he was expositing the Old Testament scripture, as he was maybe preaching the kingdom of God, as he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom, we find that there was somebody in the synagogue that had an unclean spirit. Again, there, there, was, there was somebody in the synagogue that was, uh, that was possessed by an unclean spirit or that was possessed by a, a demon. And again, there, there's a lot, there's a lot of, of bad teaching out there regarding you know, demons and demon possession. I don't think a Christian should have, you know, uh, you know, spend a whole lot of time. But again, you, you should know what the scripture says about uh, the fact that there, you know, there is a spiritual realm. You know, Satan is very real and he is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we are in a spiritual warfare and, and demons are very real and they're a very active force in the world. Um, so, again, who are who are demons? Again, demons are not uh you know the, the the spirits of departed people, and they're not they're not some sort of pre uh, pre Adamic race. No, uh, demons are um, fallen angels. That's what demons are. Again, demons used to be good angels, uh, but whenever Lucifer rebelled against God, again he took uh, many of the angels with him, and again these angels went from being good angels or elect angels to becoming uh, to becoming evil angels or becoming fallen angels or as we call them. Demons who do, who are really pawns of Satan and, and, and do his bidding. So, um, 
again, we recognize the fact that demon possession is a very real thing, uh, again, especially in, I know, again, depending upon where you are in the world, there's places where people go, and especially places that are filled with a lot of animism and, and um, a lot of idolatry or places where there is a lot more of demon possession than maybe what, what we see. But even though I think there's a lot more than we recognize even here in the United States, uh, but demon possession is very real. Again, when demons take control of and possess a person, um, again, I, I don't believe. Again, and this is a whole other topic, and if you want to uh, talk to me more about it, I can explain it to you. I don't believe that a genuine Christian can be demon-possessed. All right? I believe that whenever a Christian gets saved, your body becomes the temple of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God comes to reside and to live within you, and there's no room for a demon. All right. Again, the, the Spirit of God is not going to allow a demon to reside within you alongside alongside his leadership within your life. So, again, I do believe that a true believer can be demonically, I guess, influenced or oppressed, but I wouldn't ever say a, a genuine believer can be demon-possessed. Um, people open themselves up to uh, unbelievers, you know, open themselves up to uh, demonic possession through idolatry, through drugs, uh, through the occult, oftentimes through things like astrology or spiritism or witchcraft, uh, new age practices, stuff like that. And that is why, again, we need to be careful as Christians, I, I, I think, what what we allow into our lives, again, what movies we watch, what books we read, uh, again, what even sometimes even what holidays we celebrate or don't celebrate. Again, I don't I don't want anything to do with Satan and his demons. I don't want anything to do with the occult. I don't want anything to do with there is a very real, dark, spiritual realm that is in the world. And I don't want anything to do with that. And I don't believe any Christian, although they can't be demon possessed, any Christian should even get close to those things. Again, should even should even dabble in those things. Should should spend time with 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 again getting into these things that could open themselves up to uh, being influenced demonically. So um, let's continue on though. Take a look at verse number twenty three again, and it says here there was a man in their syn- or there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out saying, "Let us alone! What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us?" I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. So notice here that as the preaching of God's word went forth, the Bible says that this evil spirit, likely using the voice of this person it possessed, cried out. And notice, notice what it said. You can notice what it said here in verse number 24, saying, let us alone. Let us alone. What have we to do with thee? Thou Jesus of Nazareth. Okay? Again, as long as the truth of the word of God, as long as the light of truth did not shine in that synagogue, again, that unclean spirit could take up residence and, and be fine. Again, maybe this was somebody who visited every Sabbath day, but this day was different because Christ came. And he spoke the word of God, and when the light of the word of God shines forth, it, it dispels darkness. And it, it makes, as you see here, in this case, it, it made this demon cry out. And that's why we need to saturate our lives, our minds, our homes with light and with truth and with God's word. So we don't give, give Satan a foothold within, within our life. 
But notice here that this demon recognized Christ. Okay, this demon recognized who Jesus was. And we find that throughout the Gospels. And even in the book of Acts, uh, again, that these, these demons know who Jesus Christ is. These demons did, did not need any explanation of who Jesus was. No, they knew who he was. And these, these used to be good angels until they rebelled with Lucifer and were expelled from heaven. But these demons know that Jesus is not only the Messiah, the creator of all things, but they also know that he's their judge. They also know that he has authority over them. And that the day will come when, again, we see him here casting out demons out of people, but the day will come when he casts all demons and Satan himself into the lake of fire. You know, what a, what a glorious day that will be when that happens. But the day will come when these demons will be cast into the lake of fire forever. And they know this. They know that Christ is, is, is going to destroy them. And that's why they say here, verse 24, art thou come to destroy us? And they wondered, is, again, is, is this why you have come? Have you come to, to cast us away forever, to banish us forever? In the lake of fire. The book of James, the book of James tells us that the devils believe and tremble. Demons are not atheists. Alright? Again, they, they, they are not atheists. They know that God exists. They know exactly who God is. They know who Jesus is. They know who the Messiah is. And they know that Christ is their ultimate judge. And that's why they tremble. They don't, they don't tremble in the sense of, of trembling out of, out of reverence to God and a desire to obey him, obviously. No, they tremble because they understand, they understand their fate. They understand their end. They understand what is coming for them. There's nothing they can do about this. Let's continue on, though. Verse number 25. We see the demon rebuked by Christ. It says, And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace. And come out of him. All right, Jesus would not receive this testimony from the demon, even if his testimony was true. And we find that, again, he, Christ is the Holy One of God. Christ is Jesus of Nazareth. And we find other, other passages where, again, demons refer to him as the Son of God. And, uh, again, they, 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 what they say is true, but Christ is not going to uh, allow a, a demon to testify for him. So we find here Christ responds by rebuking him, uh, telling him to hold his peace, and then uh, commanding him to come out of him. Christ didn't have to bargain with him or negotiate with him. And we see the authority that Christ has over these demons. He simply commanded, and they obeyed. He commanded them to come out, and they had no other option. We see here in verse 26, And when the unclean spirit had torn him, that's the man, that's the man he had possessed, and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. We find here the, the, the authority, the power that Christ has over, over Satan and the demonic realm. And yes, Satan and his realm are very real, are very active. Again, Christians should not take those lightly. Uh, but then again, you should not, again, you should understand that as a Christian, again, Christ has authority over these things. And if you're in Christ, again, then, then you have no need to fear. Again, if you're walking with Christ, 
again, and, and you're 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 resisting sin and you're obeying him. Again, you have no need to fear this this dark realm that is around us. Now, just as a side note, just briefly, I, I want to mention um, we also see in, in the Gospel of Luke, we see that Christ gave his apostles uh, the power to cast out demons in Luke nine, verse number one. But apart from Jesus Christ and his apostles, you know, we don't see any other New Testament believer or church age believers as we are casting out demons. Okay? And that's, that's important for us to recognize. All right. There's no apostles today. All right. There's nobody who's seen the resurrected Christ. So nobody can fulfill that office today. Uh, but Christ did give just we talked we talked about the signs of an apostle, these sign gifts to the apostles and those who were closely associated with them. But we find in this instance, again, he did give his apostles power to cast out demons. Uh, we find that, for example, in the book of Acts. And again, I'm not going to turn there, but you can check that out later. But the New Testament uh, never tells church age believers to cast out demons. All right. And there, there's some some ministries and some churches that go that go off the rails with stuff like this. And they, they become uh, ministries of exorcism. All right. And God's not called us to a ministry of exorcism. God's called us to a ministry of evangelism. Okay. That is where the focus is. That is where the focus is, is evangelizing the lost. Why? Because when a person believes the gospel, they get saved by the grace of God in the darkness and the demons flee and the spirit of God comes to take up residence within them. All right. So don't get sidetracked and don't don't go off the rails with stuff like that. And um, again, our job is evangelism. Okay, that's 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 how that's what you again. If you meet somebody and you think they're demon possessed, preach the gospel to them. That's what they need. If you meet somebody and they are they are influenced demonically, preach the gospel to them. That's what they need. It is the light of the gospel that that'll dispel darkness and demons out of their life. Let's continue on, though. Take a look at verse number 27 down to verse number 28. And we find here the response of the multitude. Verse 27 says, And they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. So the people in the synagogue, and they were, they were amazed. What power! What authority? Authority in, in doctrine? Again, he, he doesn't teach like the scribes. No, he, he, his teaching is distinct. His, his teaching is, is, is done with, with power and with authority. Not only that, we also see, again, they also recognize the fact that, again, he had authority over unclean spirits. He simply commands them and they obey him. He commands them to come out of this, this, this possessed person, and they obey. They, 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 don't, they don't negotiate with him. No, he commands, and they obey him. And we find here that the fame of Christ begins spreading. The fame of Christ begins spreading throughout uh, all the region round about Galilee. We see that in verse number 28. The Bible makes it clear that Christ has come to destroy Satan's kingdom. And Satan's kingdom is, is, a, is a losing kingdom. It is a, again, the, the fate of, of his kingdom is sealed. The end of that kingdom is, is uh, extermination and um, for Satan and his demons, uh, again, being cast into the lake of fire. 
First John 3, 8, it says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's one of the purposes why Christ came into this world, was to destroy the works of the devil. Let's continue on, though. Verse number 29 down to verse number 34, we see Christ's authority over disease. Christ's authority over disease. Take a look at verse number 29. It says, And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother, because that would have been Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Simon Peter was married. This would be his, his, his wife's mother. Lay sick of a fever in Anon, they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her and she ministered unto them. So in this passage, we see in, in one single day, we see his authority in doctrine. We see his authority over demons. We see his authority over disease. He comes in, and he takes her by the hand. He lifts her up, and she is healed instantly. She is healed immediately. And that's something I want us to recognize this morning is that whether it's here or throughout the Gospels, whenever Jesus Christ healed somebody, it was instantaneous, and it was Complete, And there, there's significance to that. Um, Christ did not tell, again, her, Christ did not tell Simon, si, uh, Simon's mother-in-law uh, to, to take it easy. You know, to, uh, again, here's some medicine. No, again, he, he, he came to her and he healed her. And the Bible says, again, in verse number 30, uh, verse number 31, actually, it says, immediately the fever left her. Now, I want to just briefly, I want to contrast the healing ministry of Christ with so-called modern-day faith healers, okay? Because, again, you turn on TBN, which I hope I hope you don't, nobody watches TBN. Again, there's nothing good on TBN. Uh, but, again, these, these, these modern-day faith healers, so-called, uh, these people who, you know, you know, who... Uh, tell you to make a to make a gift to their ministry, and they're going to pray for you, and they're going to heal you of your backache or your tooth pain or or whatever you're dealing with. Uh, again, these people like false teachers like Benny Hinn or others again who who have these staged events again where they supposedly are are healing all these people. Again, contrast that with the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. Okay, number one, when Jesus healed, it was instantaneous. It happens in a, in a millisecond. All right. People didn't need to recover. It wasn't like, again, you're healed. Now take an easy two weeks and you'll get fully healed. No, whenever people were truly healed, they were healed. They were totally healed. It was complete healing. It was instantaneous. Number two, it was complete. All right. It was it was complete. It was total healing. Number three, it was offered to anyone who came. It was offered to anyone who came. Um, also, again, Christ healed people who didn't come to him. Christ went to them and healed them. Uh, again, they, they didn't have, again, pre-screening required, okay, where they uh, – so much of what is – so much of the modern so-called faith healing movement, it's, it's staged. Again, it's, it's set up. It's a show. Um, and it's not real healing going on. But we find it was offered to anyone who came. There wasn't pre-screening. Nobody in the back who couldn't get to Christ. No, again, Christ would go to them. They would come to him. Um, it was Christ's healing ministry. It was offered everywhere and in all places. It wasn't in a pre-staged, controlled environment. Um, there were no lines to be pre-screened. 
Um, it was not always preconditioned on faith. Okay, Christ healed people who weren't even believers. Okay, so it wasn't always preconditioned on the faith. Now, there were times where Christ commended the faith of a person, but that wasn't always the case. And then lastly, again, Christ didn't take an offering. All right, He didn't require you to sow a seed of faith in order to be healed. Now, let me clarify something real quick, because a lot of people will look at Again, a church like ours that doesn't – we don't believe the sign gifts are still in operation. We believe that those were for a particular period to authenticate the revelation that was being given. Again, gifts of – nobody – we don't believe anyone today has the gift of gift of healing, for example. Um, like Christ, we see in the ministry of Christ or even the ministry of the apostles. Uh, again, a lot of people look at a church, a ministry like ours, and think, well, you must not believe that God heals. No, we absolutely think that God heals today. I, I do believe that God heals today in answer to the prayers of his people and according to his divine will. It's not always God's will for a believer to be healed. You realize that? It's not always – sometimes God uses sickness and disease in a, believe, in a believer's life to draw them closer to Christ. It's not always, uh, it's, it's not always God's will. Again, we, we, don't, we don't believe that physical healing is in the atonement unless what you mean by that is when you get to heaven, you're, you're totally healed. That, that is guaranteed, but that doesn't guarantee physical he- healing here upon earth. Okay? We don't believe people are running around with the gift, with the gift of healing. Otherwise, they should go to, go to, the, go to the children's hospital and, and clear it out. Again, they'll, they'll explain. Again, it's based upon people's faith. That's why they're not healed. But again, again don't, don't, don't think that we don't believe God heals because God does heal. God does miracles today. You, you realize that? God does miracles. God heals, but nobody's running around with the gift of miracles and the gift of healing. It's, God's, it's, it's God who does it, and it's God's prerogative, and it's according to God's will. All right, let's continue on uh, to verse number 32. It says here, and at even, okay, when the sun did set. So again, this is a full day in the ministry of Christ. And at even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. So what we find here in today's passage is a day in the life of Christ and busy about the father's busy about going about uh, busy about the father's business. Serving, serving the Father, doing the Father's will, teaching with all authority, not like the scribes, and showing his authority over demons, casting demons out, showing his authority over uh, within the physical realm and the healing of the sick. And today we've been reminded of the fact that we serve an all-powerful God. In a God whose power has not been diminished again since you know the gospel since uh, again ever you know but again we, we read about things like this and the power of God is not diminished the God is God is still working in mighty ways He's the all powerful God and He has the power to deliver those who are taken captive by the devil and again if you're here today and you've never believed the gospel you've never repented again then you are still taken captive by the devil the devil is a liar he's a murderer again he he doesn't give life no he steals life he takes life he lies he deceives he leads down a path of destruction while all at the same time a promising a promising what he can't offer 
promising joy and promising satisfaction and promising life. But we understand the gospel alone can set you free. And if you're not saved and deliver you from Satan and sin and hell. If you're here today and again, you, you say, yes, I'm saved. Then let me encourage you to look at the example of Jesus Christ. Let me, let me encourage you to look at a day in the life of Christ and see how that again. He was busy about the father's business. Jesus Christ made every moment count for the glory of God. Jesus made every moment count for the glory of God. And that ought to challenge us. We ought to be redeeming the time because the days are evil. We ought to be serving our master faithfully. We ought to be redeeming the time, using every moment, living for things that bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. And may his example challenge us this morning. And again, may we go forth and, and, and share the word of God. You know, we're in, a, we're in a season with the Resurrection Sunday coming up. In just a couple of weeks where we really have an open door to share the gospel with people, to explain to people why Christ came and why he rose again. Because most people, again, understand, again, generally speaking, understand or have heard of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what does that even mean and how does that apply to me? And what a great opportunity, even with even with the invitations and the gospel tracts, using those. Because there's a lot of people who on, who on Easter Sunday are going to go to a church, going to go through some religious rituals, and they're going to leave as lost as ever. Who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who need to be raised again to new life. Again, and it's our job to go and to tell. Again, it's when we go and, tell, and preach the gospel and people receive the gospel that they are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. So may we be faithful in sharing the gospel. And we have a great opportunity this time of year. Let's go and close with a word of prayer. Father, we come before you, Lord, and God, I pray that you would take the word that has gone forth. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would bless it. And God, I pray that your hand would just be upon each and every one of us, God, and that you would speak to hearts. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just be with anyone here today who, who says, I, I know the gospel, I'm familiar with Christ, but I've never exercised saving faith in Christ. I pray that today would be the day, Lord, when they would call upon you as their Lord and Savior. God, I pray for believers here today, God. I pray you would strengthen them and edify them, Lord, and help us, God, to be challenged by the example of Christ, who went about his days redeeming the time, bringing glory to Christ, making every moment count. And God, I pray, Lord, that we would do the same. I pray that we would strive to live our lives in a way that bring honor and glory to you. Lord, not just on Sunday, but on Monday and Tuesday and through every day of the week and through every situation and scenario we find ourselves in. And God, I pray that we'd be faithful as a church, Lord, to proclaim your word, to proclaim the gospel. Lord, there's so many even, Lord, even in a community like this, Lord, that have a familiarity with Christ, that are like those in the synagogue who stood uh, and, and had their eyes fastened upon Christ, Lord, but who have never been saved. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Father, to be your ambassadors. Help us, God, to be faithful, Lord, in sharing your truth with those around us. God, sharing the resurrection hope that we have because of Jesus Christ. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.